0: Today's scripture is from Acts 10, verses 44 through 48. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed, because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Thank you, Cherry. How are we doing this morning, church? I'm also good. So I've been sharing with you some interesting facts about my life. Um, here's, here's one for you that you could have probably, uh, probably guessed. I am not a scientist, but I recently learned that in the world of science, and you might have heard, uh, heard this too um, in light of uh, recent events, that in, in the world of science, There are general shared characteristics that constitute when something is alive. Things that are living, even though they may be wildly different, share some similar attributes. No matter if they're as tall or as old as an oak tree, or if they're as small as the acorn that could one day become that same oak, they share similar traits because they're alive. Yes, you might not know this, even the acorn is alive. I'm not gonna share all of them, but I, I think it would be useful to our study this morning if I shared a few of the characteristics, the scientific characteristics for living things. The first one, is it able to grow? The amount of potential for growth, how much something could grow, doesn't really matter. Like if something that weighs two ounces could only ever grow to something, say, that weighs eight ounces, that doesn't mean that it's less alive than something else because it isn't as large or it isn't as significant. Potential for growth is an indicator of life. The second characteristic is, is it able to respond to stimuli? Not just is it something that's growing, but is it something that's following a code? Is it responding to certain internal or external factors? Is it responding to things like touch, pain, and resistance? Those are indicators of life. The third characteristic of life is, is it able to metabolize nutrients and turn them into energy? You might remember that word your seventh or eighth grade science classes, not just is it growing and not just is it responding to outside factors, but is it able to use food, to use food and turn it into energy to be productive? If something is able to process what it's taken in and in turn use it to grow, well then that thing is alive. Now, do with those characteristics what you will, but for the purposes of our study this morning, it's important that you and I are able to identify something when it's alive. But more importantly, we need to be able to identify something when it's dead. If those characteristics are useful to you in any other aspect of life, then so be it. But we're back in Acts. If you remember back at the beginning of the year, we spent some time thinking about the witness of the early church, an eyewitness In the court of law, is someone who has seen or heard something worthy of value? They've seen or heard something valuable to the case. The apostles, as we read in Acts chapter 5, truly believed they had seen and heard something that was worth sharing. They had seen the risen Christ. They had heard the good news. They had seen and heard things that had implications for their life. They had a responsibility to do something with what they had witnessed. And if we are baptized believers, then we have a responsibility as someone who's witnessed the truth to do something with it. Now there are many people out there who need to know the truth, who need to see and hear it for the first time, and I don't want you to think I'm ignoring those people over the next month. In case you've forgotten who some of those people are, I encourage you to go back and listen to our sermon series from April. But this month, In our return to Acts, and our return to the early church, I want to focus just on the believers. I want to focus on those who are coming to Christ, those who are being baptized. We know, if you've been with us since the beginning of the year, that the Holy Spirit is doing amazing things in this community. We know that their message is reaching new places and new people at incredibly rapid speeds. What about the people themselves? What were their lives like, not just their message? In a court of law, the testimony of a witness can be undermined by the lack of character by that witness. When there is a flaw in their, uh, in their character, that doesn't make their message any less true, but it does make it harder to convince a jury by their message, if there's a problem with, with their character. What we'll see is that in the early church, the life of the witness is their message. And our witness is no, different, is no different than theirs because we've seen and heard something worth sharing. But do our lives look like it? Does our character match our witness? And for when it doesn't, When our lives look so unlike our gospel, what are we supposed to do about it? How can we tell when we aren't exhibiting signs of spiritual life? I invite you to join me in Acts chapter 11 as we consider the life of the witness. Now up to this point, it appears that only Jews have Uh, have converted to Christianity. Only Jews have become Christians, at least on a wide scale. And Peter, in Acts chapter 10, as uh, as was just read for us, has this vision, where he's shown by God to go to Joppa and meet with a man named Cornelius. Now, Cornelius was not a Jew. In fact, he was a palace centurion, a secular military man. And if you aren't familiar with the conversion of Cornelius and his household— I encourage you to go back and read Acts chapter 10 later this week. It is a beautiful story. We're going to pick up in Acts chapter 11. After this great Gentile conversion, once the Jewish converts at home have had a chance to hear about it. They've had a chance to learn that Gentiles are now becoming Christians like Cornelius. And this is where we find the Apostle Peter in Acts chapter 11 verse 1. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to an uncircumcised man, and you ate with him. Rumor has spread, and word has made its way back to Jerusalem, which up to this point has served as the central hub for Christians and the testimony, the truth, that the gospel has spread to these Gentiles, has spread to these people who are not previously Jews, it doesn't seem right to the Christians in Jerusalem. At least it doesn't seem right to those who are referred to as the circumcision party. Jewish converts to Christianity, at least in the New Testament, are a frequent punching bag. Uh, Paul especially has a lot to say against Jews. Jews who are trying to hold other non-Jewish Christians accountable for traditions that are rooted in the old law. And that makes sense because Paul once was one of those same hyperzealous Jews who was deeply entrenched in tradition. What it meant to be of the circumcision party meant that these Jewish converts, born Jews who are now Christian believers, followers of Jesus, they were still adhering to old signs and symbols of what it meant to be in the old covenant, like circumcision. And when you think about what circumcision was, it was a sign of the covenant between Abraham and God. It was a symbolic act that marked Abraham and his family as being God's people. And so these these Jews are taking signs of the covenant framework and they're applying it to their new belief in Jesus. It makes perfect sense that there should be some kind of sign, some kind of evidence that someone has been saved when they're following Jesus. When there are signs of life, they're evident. And when you're looking for signs of life, like the circumcision party, they try to make their own about what what is the evidence that they've become Christians? Well, they they should be circumcised just like us. And and their challenge with Peter is that he willingly went to those people who didn't show signs of the covenant. What proof did Peter have that it was okay to do what he did? This is what he shares with them in verse 5. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet that was descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air, and I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, what God has made clean, do not call common." And this happened three times, and all was drawn up again to heaven. What Peter is retelling to them here in Acts chapter 11 is what happened in Acts chapter 10. I encourage you to go back and read it. God speaks to Peter through a vision, and in this vision, God's challenging Peter's idea of what it means to be clean. And as you might know, there were certain laws that were uh, in place in the Mosaic law, uh, Regarding what items, especially what foods, were ceremonially clean and unclean. Some of these laws had health conscious implications, like you should not eat an animal if it has a disease. That, that, that makes sense, right? But there were other food laws that had spiritual implications, like to not eat pigs. We might make the assumption that the law against eating pork had something to do with the pig being a filthy animal susceptible to disease. Now, that may be true. Pigs are pretty gross, unless you have one as a pet. Um, They're still gross. But if we look back at the environment in which these laws were given, and at the political, social environment in which these laws were given to the Israelites, they're preparing to enter Canaan, they're preparing to move into the Promised Land and dwell around these foreign nations. Does anybody want to take a guess at which nation was was situated in a prime region for growing pigs? Any any guesses? It was the Philistines, own enemies of the of the Israelites. We see Israel and uh, uh, the Philistines at war several times. Over the course of the Old Testament. So if you wanted to eat pigs in that day, you'd have to do business with the Philistines. You'd have to do business with godless societies. The message here for Peter is that God is extending spiritual cleanliness to new places. When he talks about foods that are spiritually clean and unclean, he's not just setting guidelines for food that's healthy, but he's also creating economic boundaries to keep the Israelites from having to rely on those foreign nations. Peter continues in uh, Acts uh, uh, Acts chapter 11, in verse 11, and behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at my house, and in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea, and the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered into a man's house, and he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as it had on us in the beginning. Just as, as the vision said, these people who were previously unclean and without the sign of the covenant, without circumcision, came searching for Peter so that they too could find life. They could find the life that Jesus offers. And to Peter's surprise, when he shares the good news with these people, when he shares the gospel with these Gentiles, they start to experience the same type of spiritual transformation that the Jews did back in Acts chapter 2. And in this amazing scene, Cornelius and all of his household and all of his friends are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. The gospel has gone to new places. So Peter responds to the circumcision circumcision party's concerns by telling them not just what God showed Peter, but also by telling them what God has done in these people, in these Gentiles, in these unclean people. He shows them the evidence that they've been made clean too. And if that wasn't enough evidence, he concludes with this in verse 16, And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Peter's final proof that these Gentiles have come to life, that these Gentiles are now receiving the gospel, comes from the words of Jesus himself. And it now appears that the Jewish converts, the circumcision party, also believes that God's led these people to life. And they didn't need any longer earthly signs, or they didn't need a certain pre-existing history The evidence that these Gentiles in Acts 11 and Acts 10 had been saved was that they were transformed. That they received the Holy Spirit and that they too could have their sins forgiven. There was evidence. You could see it. And when you saw that evidence, you couldn't deny that there was life. Their signs of life were visible. They weren't Isabel like circumcision, but when God leads people to life, there are signs. There is evidence. Hold that idea. We'll come back to it in just a minute. I think when Christians think about Acts and, and they think about the early church, I, I can do this too. I, I think we make two common mistakes. The first mistake is if we think, well, that was a different time. You know, a lot's A lot's changed since then. That was a long time ago. A lot's changed in 2,000 years. But if we convince ourselves that what happened then can't also happen now, then we will stop viewing the world through a spiritual lens. Yes, we believe that our Bible contains history. It tells about events that really happened. But our Bible is not a historic artifact. It's a living, breathing document about how God seeks to reclaim his creation, is currently reclaiming his creation, and how God is revealing himself to humanity. And that includes you and me. It also included Peter and Cornelius. What God was able to do then, God is doing now. We can still be led to life in the same way that Cornelius was out of the Old and into the new. The second mistake that I think we can make when we think about the early church is we might take for granted what was happening on earth for the very first time. If you're like me and and you grew up in the church, sometimes you can feel a little calloused about some of the great things that the Bible declares. And if we allow our callous to take over, if we let fatigue set in, we'll start to look at the beautiful things that scripture includes, and we'll absolutely miss it. Yeah, we get it. Jesus brings life. Yeah, okay, Jesus died for my sins. What else? If that's how we view the Bible, then no, we don't get it. There are many different factors that can cause us to become spiritually fatigued, that can, that can cause us to become spiritually calloused, Maybe it's our life has gone in a different direction since when we became a Christian. Or maybe it's there are things in our life that we used to believe that now they just seem more like good ideas than they seem like God's word. What God is doing in Acts and in the early church in the days and the months and the years after Jesus' resurrection was he was meeting together with people in a way that he never had before since the Garden communing with them as he created them to be. Because people have been led to life. Life and forgiveness through Jesus isn't just another life. It isn't just another option. It's the only life. It's the only option. So when these Jewish converts are grappling with these Gentiles who are, are becoming Christians, and, and it just doesn't make sense in their old lens, and, and they don't really believe it, have they really been led to life? And they look at the signs of life. And they look at the evidence in these Gentiles who have now become Christians. And it is beyond apparent that these people are followers of Jesus it is clear that they've received the Holy Spirit, that they've been baptized, and they are now alive. Before we conclude this morning, I, I want us to think about us for just a couple minutes. You remember the three scientific characteristics of living things that I shared with you earlier? Is it evident that we are growing? How much you grow spiritually doesn't decide which tier of heaven you will get into one day. If if you grow 250%, well, then you get the extra acre in the backyard. But are you growing at all? Is there any growth in your life? Because if we aren't growing, if our life hasn't changed much since we have grown, we have come to a faith in Jesus Christ, if our habits haven't changed, if our schedules haven't changed, if our lives don't look any different, if there's no evidence, are we really alive? Or the second sign of life, is it evident to others that we are responding to, to this amulite? Are we responding to pain and to touch? Are we moved by the hurt of people around us? Are we affected by the problem of sin, and not just in our lives, but in the lives of our friends and our family? Is our life following a pattern, pushing us towards something that is greater than ourselves? Or have we grown unresponsive in our faith? Or the third sign of life, are we taking in food and using it for energy? You've heard the old phrase, it goes in one ear and cried out the other. Jesus said it like this, the one who is my disciple is the one who hears the words of mine and does them. Are we taking in food? Spiritual food, we're hearing sermons, we're having uh, uh, having small groups, We're we're... we're entering into Bible classes. We're even seeing fruits in other people's lives. But we're turning that food into nothing. As we close this morning, I want to take us back to the courtroom and we'll spend some more time here over the next month. But like I've mentioned, as an eyewitness in the courtroom, there is no denying that we have seen and heard something that's worth sharing. We have seen and heard something that is worth doing something with in our lives because we now have life. But just like in a courtroom, if a witness is unwilling to testify, if they're unwilling to cooperate, then their witness, no matter how useful and no matter how true, is worthless. Now, that doesn't mean that the truth that we carry is faulty if we waver in our walk. But if we have no signs of life, then what's the point? If our lives aren't changed at all by the cross, then what are we doing this all for? If you've never experienced life, if you've never become a Christian, then I hope that you know that Jesus gives you freedom from sin And from death. He died so that you could have life. But if you are a Christian and your faith hasn't been showing much signs of life, or maybe it's shown some but not much, know that it is never too late to confess your sins and your shortcomings, to bring Jesus your hurt and your frustration because Jesus has already done something about it on the cross when he died, so that you and I could be led to life. Do you believe that this morning? I don't want you to answer with your voice, but answer with your life. Is there evidence? Is it visible? By the way that you live, that you and I have seen something worth sharing, that we have seen and heard something worth sharing, changing our lives for if you have any need whether it's here in person or it's on facebook i hope that you will make that known if not right now then sometime later this week send in a comment send us an email or a text but don't let god's word go in one ear and out the other because god's word is not something to be ignored we need to be people that it is beyond evident that we have life, that we have something that this world is missing. It's our testimony, and it's our witness. And for when we fall, and for when we aren't living like we have a gospel that's worth believing at all, Jesus' mercy is still there for us. If you have any aid this morning, want you make it known right now as we stand and as we sing this song.